you need to get in the habit of shipping and, and trying things. Like when, when I say reentrancy, I don't mean go read about reentrancy. I mean, go reproduce reentrancy on a test net and go reproduce uh, some of these other attacks and really go prove to yourself that you can recreate them and spend time like learning more about them. But you also just need to get in the mode of shipping and ship things and show them off on Twitter and ship things and show them off on Twitter. Build things that you'll use and iterate on yourself. Just build lots of apps and try the applications and try them out. Hello and welcome to episode two of the Devs Do Something podcast. I'm your host, Sam Flamini, and today's guest is Austin Griffith. So Austin is one of the OGs in the Ethereum developer community, and he's contributed a ton over the course of his career to developer education and developer tooling in the space. He's built things like ETH.Build, ETH, and Speedrun Ethereum, which is his latest project. And these are things that I've used personally and that we at Superfluid have used in some of our own developer experience work. So in this episode, we talk through how Austin approaches building developer tooling and how it's a lot like uh, how any other PM would go about building a product. We also talk through some of Austin's tips and advice for leveling up as a Solidity developer. And we, we also talk about how Austin sees this space evolving, right? What do we still need by way of developer tooling? And what is he excited about for the future? What does he see Web3 looking like in the year 2032? So this episode was a lot of fun. It starts out with Austin's signature uh, little dance moves he does uh, and goes through a wide range of topics that I think we get a lot out of if you're just trying to level up in the space. We hope you enjoy. All right, so we are here with Austin Griffith. He's got a signature dance. You know, I wish That's I right. got to do it. Dance like that. It's good. Got to bring good it. Stuff. That's right. Um, well, no, Austin, we're super excited to have you here. Uh, we'd love to obviously talk through a lot of different things today. We want to see some demos of Scaffoldy, some of the other cool stuff you've worked on. Talk through some some DevRel stuff and some other technical stuff. But before we do all that, I'd love to understand like how you got involved with Ethereum in the first place. Can you walk us through your background a bit? Yeah, I started building uh, like games. I started, well, I mean, I found out about smart contracts and I did like the classic rabbit hole on learning how Ethereum works. And I just fell in love with it. Before Ethereum, I was deep down a rabbit hole on Docker and I was learning infrastructure and code and I was building a piece of software on top of it that would help teams kind of scale and use containers. Uh, and at the time it was really interesting I worked for a company that wouldn't let me open source this technology. And so there was like this, uh, this whole push in my own uh, mind about how things need to be more open and we need to figure out how a package JSON can have all its dependencies addresses and we can pay those addresses somehow. So Ethereum was like a natural fit for a lot of things. And I just, I, I love the idea, like even with Docker, we're talking about redundancy and having servers up. I love the idea of like, thousands of machines are the redundancy and this network is peer to peer and all this cool stuff that happens just beyond smart contracts and beyond blockchain uh, on Ethereum. And, but smart contracts themselves were just like so exciting. Like uh, just like 
goosebumps on the back of my neck about all the cool things I could build with this. And so I just got into uh, learning uh, how to do it. And then I noticed that tooling wasn't great. And I tried to build games and my own apps. But the thing that really resonated with the space was when I went back to building tools and showing tools off and just being a general like DevRel type around tooling and education. That's that's where where I really like found my spot in the ecosystem. I love it. Yeah, you're you're obviously very well known and, and very good at, at the DevRel side. And you built lots of tooling that the entire space uses. But just before we were talking, you, you were mentioning like some of the early things you were working on when you first got started. What, do you, what, what was like the first application you built? Was, was this it? Yeah, this is so Galliast.io was one of the first ones. So each each one of these boats is an NFT. You can see the little blocky, like this is an actual person. The problem is that it's not loading blocks anymore. It was on XDAI and uh, they killed the XDAI RPC node. And I don't even know if I have the ability to like republish this front end anymore. But look at this. This is a gas slider. Look, this is sliding. Let me zoom in. You're sliding between cheap and fast transactions between zero and 51 guay. And it's like this like bottle of hooch. Like there are so many like weird things I built into this. If I click here, there's like this cool like unicorn and dragon and you're like seeing the map and there's not a map anymore because the RPC is dead. But there's there was like things like a marketplace. Let's see if I can click on this. Nope, I can't. So each one of these land tiles is a smart contract. Uh, the fish are ERC-20s or maybe, yeah, they're ERC-20s. There's like this whole, uh, you know, timber and uh, meat and stone to build a castle. So all these ERC-20s and ERC-721s, this was like uh, late, like, 2017 so it was like pretty early like the wow. nft standard had just been created and i basically copy and pasted it from like the crypto kitties stuff and used it in my stuff so building games i would say was where i started and i loved this but it 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 showed both how hard onboarding is in ethereum and also that unless you incorporate a bunch of Ponzi-nomics into your game, most people aren't gonna wanna play them yet, right? So we're still, we're still very early in the space. We still are very early in the space, right? But, it, but I started by building games and this was like this hand-painted game, everything's on chain. Even the clouds moving was on chain, but no one really cared. No one really wanted to play it because they couldn't get rich playing it. So, so then I started moving to tooling and, and doing more like tutorial and dev work. Okay, so you start off with games with your, that, that's, that's actually cool, by the way. It made me think that are the, <laughs> the fish were fungible. That, that's funny. That's just keep ring, that keeps ringing in my head, the fungible yeah. ERC-20 fish. Um, <laughs> but you started there with games. You obviously had to learn like this entire new stack, right? It, it really probably aligned with your values a lot because Ethereum is incredibly pro-open source. This is all open technology, right? So that was probably really exciting. But what were some of the things you mentioned? Like some of the stuff was really early still. Like they didn't even have the, the NFT standard out yet. What else was really hard in those days getting started building on Ethereum? Oh man, like tooling was so bad. Tooling, tooling has gotten so much better. If, if we look at the, like when I used Truffle, I couldn't get it, I couldn't even get it to work. Like I couldn't figure out why we're doing dash dash migrates. Like the, <laughs> the, 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 the developer experience was about 60% at the time, right? It was 60% good. And I built my own. Uh, so I made this, this uh, orchestration software called Clevis. I don't even know if this is still around, but I, I couldn't stand using Truffle. So I built my own orchestration software that 
would uh, let you uh, compile and deploy and orchestrate uh, smart contracts. And that's what I used to build Galleass and some of those other games. So, so first of all, like just tooling. Tooling is just uh, was very hard, and it's a lot better now. It, it's 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 been there's been a lot of iterations from a lot of folks creating the thing that they wish they had when they started, right? And I'm just another one of those dudes creating the thing that I wish I had at the start. And those things are like scaffold ETH, which is working on top of hard hat. So we, we can start with like hard hat came out and hard hat was like 80 to 90% instead of the 60% that truffle was. And, and before hard hat came out, people will be like, what? No, no, truffle is fine. What, 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 what do you need? Right. And it's like, when I complain about MetaMask now and people are like MetaMask is fine. What do you need? I know that there's a disruptor coming somewhere because I know that the experience is bad enough that someone's going to be able to do a better job of that one day. And we saw that with truffle and we saw hard hat kind of disrupt them basically right and and now we even have like foundry and other different flavors of of this idea of you know being able to test and compile your contracts and orchestrate things so uh yeah so tooling was bad and thanks to uh lots of folks in the ecosystem making it better it's a lot better now it's still hard it's still difficult like you still get an error message from the blockchain and be like what the hell does this even mean like i see the error yes and it's like all this text like but what does it mean <laughs> so so it's still it's still not great but it's gotten so much better yeah, just just kind of kind of building on that point. I mean, that's so cool that that you you know just built this entire like framework for this yourself. I think that's that's something that I really like about the space is that like if something doesn't work well, let's just throw it away and do something new. You know, like I, I love seeing that iteration in the space. It's it's hard to keep up, right? But you just you see this like exponential improvement, you know, in dev tooling and things like that. And people are like. The permissionlessly cloning things like we have ETH hooks, which was a library of hooks coming out of scaffold ETH. And we we're like, well, we shouldn't have this as scaffold ETH. This should be its own library. And we did all this work to make it its own library. And then Wagme came out and it's the exact same thing, but like the cool kids are using it. So it's like, all right, we'll throw that away and use theirs. So it's like, it, it's cool that there is all of this permissionless cloning, but sometimes when you get dunked on, it's less fun. Like I feel bad for the truffle team <laughs> when, when we get dunked on, I, I feel more of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. I get that. So when, so this is all still around 2017, you build your own orchestration software cause you don't like truffle. When, when did you start building scaffold ETH? Was scaffold ETH one of those early things or did that come later? So the thing after that, basically after I realized that like, Building and tooling and DevRel was the thing that resonated. Uh, I wanted to spend more time doing that. And that's what led to ETH.build. So ETH.build was kind of the, it was, it was like, uh, you know, Clevis came through. Then I did like meta transaction stuff and burner wallets. And then after that, it was like, okay, like my, my space, my place in this, in this place there, there's a lot of people that are way smarter than me, but I think my my spot here is teaching. And so what I can do is I can build ETH build that just allows me to teach, uh, you know, the early concepts like hash functions and key pairs and, and transactions and, you know, all, all the way to uh, smart contracts. But if you if you ever get in here, it's it's kind of like a fun little dashboard builder, right? Right, right here, I have this dashboard that tells me if I'm spending, you know, 700,000 gas, at the current fast gas price, I can tell that that's going to cost me about $44. So I just have this like gas calc thing here all the time. So I can just look that up, but you can do, you know, you can have key pairs, right? I can generate, I can, I can talk about how 
I do this a lot on my talks where I say, if, if you want to create an account on Ethereum, you don't have to like go to Wells Fargo and fill out some information, right? It's, it's basically generating a large number. Like you, you generate a number that's so big that it would take people forever to guess it. And then from that number is derived your address and you use that number as a key to sign things. And that, that is the, the thing you keep private. And this is the thing you make public. So I can kind of teach that stuff here. I can even show like sign and recover and how that works or how you can encrypt and decrypt, right? We can encrypt something with this public key, basically saying that, you know, only for your eyes, I know your public key and then that object can go across the network. And if someone plugs that in over here, so if, if I take that encrypted message and I put my private key into it, I should get the message out on the other side, but this is the thing that travels across the network. And I can teach encryption. I can teach like from a high level, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to get in and talk about how encryption is working. Like that's like above me and beyond my pay grade. I'm just talking about how you can use these things within your application and how to think about them as an app builder. So ETH build was basically the next thing before Scaffold ETH. And, and I transitioned from ETH build to Scaffold ETH, uh, but ETH build was the start. It, it was good and it's a way for me to educate folks and it's a way for me to kind of like have a lot of this stuff and, and teach about how these things work and teach about how proof of work works. But it just didn't have a, a huge... It didn't really resonate in the way that Scaffold ETH does. When I when I look at two you know two thousand forks and I look at all the awesome things that people are building with Scaffold ETH, it's just it has more impact than than ETH Build did. But ETH Build was like a fun thing for me to be able to build and use to teach, and also like a nice little kind of like dashboard builder if people need to to build some dashboardy things. <laughs> yeah, that's really really cool. Like it's I mean already I mean the UI is pretty slick too, but. Like the fact that you can visualize like what encryption and decryption is, that's so cool, right? Because a lot of, you know, a lot of encryption related, uh, cryptography related things, it's like, oh, this is, you know, G of F of X. And it's like, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain it's that gone. to people. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I remember actually, so I used Deep Depth Build actually. So this is like oh. my early days of getting involved with smart contracts and crypto. I knew like JavaScript and how to code and stuff, but I hadn't really reasoned about cryptography. And I did exactly what you were just doing with like, you know, connecting things, looking at private keys, public keys, hashing things. I remember sitting in like the university library in the city I lived in at the time, just like playing with beat that build. So that's awesome. Kinda, that's great cool. to it's hear. It's kind of really be talking like it just talking about the same exact thing now. But yeah, what, out of curiosity, we'll get into scaffolding in a second. But what what did you build the visualization in there? What, what was that? What was that development process like to build like all the visuals that you created there? So I started with a tool called Lightgraph. There, there was a node library and it was for like, um, you see it a lot in like rendering software to build those like nodes and, and set up the filters. And so Lightgraph was an open source JavaScript library. I grabbed that and it was, it was writing all on the canvas. So I took it and I let it do its canvas thing, but then I rendered React over the top of the canvas and superimposed it. And that allowed me to like bring in all sorts of React components, right? Like most front ends are now in React. You're not freaking drawing stuff on a canvas, right? So the canvas was great for setting up the node library, but then I did, did React over the front of it. And that's what gives it that like kind of primary color. Like it feels like we're playing with crayons a little bit. Like it, try, it tries to simplify it as much as I can. So yeah, it, I use Lightgraph. I think Lightgraph is the, the shoulder, the giant shoulder that I stood on to make ETH build and that, that should definitely be a shout out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'll put a link to that stuff in, in show notes for this, but okay. ETH.build, 
next is scaffold ETH, right? Is that is that correct in the yep, timeline? I think so. Yep. Yep. So so ETH build was like it was it was good, but it wasn't great, right? And it was time to do something like I, I can use it to explain things, but this it, we're not seeing. What, what I want to do, like my job is bringing developers in and making sure they have the tools and education to build cool products on Ethereum. Like that task was only sort of happening with ETH.build. And I think Scaffold ETH was the thing that really helped me like make it happen. And not just Scaffold ETH, but even like Speedrun Ethereum. And we'll get, we'll get to Speedrun Ethereum after Scaffold ETH, but uh, sh can I show off Scaffold ETH real quick? Let's, let's dive into Scaffold ETH. So the, the theory with Scaffold ETH is that we want developers First of all, my target audience is probably someone who's a decent developer already and getting them into Ethereum and having them build their own products there. So I know that you know how to program. So I know that you're going to be able to get in here and kind of be at home with, with the syntax pretty quickly. It's, it's like you need an environment to be able to tinker with. And this is similar to Remix. Remix has something similar to this where you can kind of have the contract and, and tinker with it. But this is with a front end that you can deploy at any moment. So you kind of have... Let me, let me just, I guess in this contract right now, we have a string and then we have some function that's setting. It's like the greeter contract, right? You always see the greeter contract as one of the first ones. But if I, if I go ahead and deploy that, we'll see a new contract get deployed here. And if I grab funds, we can talk about burner wallets in a little bit, but I could like go set that purpose, right? And so it gives, gives a user a quick, you know, uh, check to make sure everything is working. And it gives them the ability to like, both write their solidity, but also just like understand how they want their solidity to work and how is it working. For instance, if I write a quick require statement here saying that message.sender, I like how it's just like, oh, address zero. Let's grab this dude's address and paste it in here. And I think this needs to probably be, no, it doesn't need to be payable. Let's just do this. Let's just paste it right in there and we'll say not not the owner or something like that, right? If we If we make a simple ownership clause in this, set purpose. Uh, traditionally, we then dive over to tests and we'd start writing a test and we would have Alice be the owner and we'd have Bob try to enter it and make sure Bob can't enter it. And it's actually going to take us a lot longer to write the test than it does this one line, right? And maybe we don't even want this to be ownership quite yet. We're just like tinkering around with how we want the mechanics of this to work. With Scaffold ETH, we deploy and we have a new contract and I can set the purpose with this person and it'll say, oh yeah, it worked. And then I could bring up another person, kind of a, kind of, this will be the baddie. We've got the goodie over here and the baddie over here, right? And we can say, hello world here. And we can hit send and right away, it's gonna say not the owner and kind of give me some, some visceral feedback about how this smart contract is working. And, and when I'm thinking, you know, do, do I want to create a mapping? Do I want to create a struct? How do I want this to work? It's a lot easier for me to throw things at the wall. Obviously, like it kind of sounds scary when we're talking about throwing things at the wall and building smart contracts that hold hundreds of millions of dollars in them. There's there's a, a process here that does involve lots of tests eventually. But as you're ideating and you're coming up with your product, it's so cool to come up with a simple, you know, you in 256. Uh, public price that someone has to pay right and let's set it at 0.001 ether to start with but but then let's uh let's make this function payable right instead of having a require statement uh that says they they are the owner let's have a require statement that says that they're paying the price right not enough ether there we go and and then let's do something really cool let's add a price curve right let's say the price equals price 
times 101 divided by 100, right? And we, we can't do decimals, right? We can do decimals when we say ether up here, but you can't do decimals in your math. And this is a good way to try it and teach it. And maybe we could even have a console log here that says price is now, and then spit out the price so we can debug it, right? So we just took out the ownership pattern added in a new fee system, and then added a price curve to the feed just with that update. Now I can say, hello world, and I can pay whatever this price is. And by the way, if I do 0.001, there's this like handy button to do this, but I still force the developer to do it, right? So they know that they're going to weigh. But there we go, I just paid hello world. Now, if we bring in that bad guy again, and we have the bad guy go try it out, it doesn't matter. We're, we're all bad guys on Ethereum. We're all adversarial parties, and we're using it we're using the smart contract to the rules, right? So now this dude can say, hello, I, I can set it to if I pay, right? And there we go. Now we're paying money and the smart contract is earning funds. And maybe we need to think about, oh, we need a withdraw. We need a withdraw function, right? To pull this money out. And we're kind of just like tinkering with ideas and trying things and we're learning solidity all, all like kind of on local host. And then if we, if we like this, if we say, okay, this, this, app where we're setting the purpose and we're paying for it. Let's deploy it. Maybe we'd build a little bit better UI for it, right? But let's deploy it. It's like you do a yarn generate over here, you fund the account and you do a yarn deploy dash dash network mainnet and you ship that thing to mainnet. And this exact thing becomes an app that anybody can come use. So it goes from I'm tinkering to trying things to I have a prototype that you can try by going to a URL very quickly. So that's that's a little, <laughs> that's the speed run mansplain of scaffold ETH. Uh, I don't know more questions to dive in there or or where we go from here, but that's that's scaffold ETH. <laughs> yeah, no, we we love scaffold ETH. We've actually used it for one of our examples. No. We have a we have a smart contract example that's meant to show off. There's a, there's a feature within Superfluid where like if I send you a stream of money, you can pass an optional field there called user data, which can then be decoded and then used in, in, in certain areas, right? So Dope. we have a contract where you pass in a message in the user data, and then that message is just set to a, a single state variable on the contract. And what we did with Scaffold D is we made it into a kind of NFT billboard, right? Oh, like yeah. you stream some money into the contract, the money and goes- And it's like graffiti. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anybody who streams in, has the ability to, to write to that message and they just use user data to do that. But that's been an amazing opportunity for us to explain a pretty like low level concept, honestly, for a beginner in a way that has some visual component to it. So we, we love it. And we see this at hackathons all the time too, so. It's definitely a hackathon stack, yeah. And I think that people are afraid of it sometimes because they see, oh, it has all this stuff. You, like you need that stuff. Like let, let's say I connect my MetaMask eventually. We've been using burner wallets and we can explain those more. But uh, as soon as I connect my account, it says, hey, you're, you're, on, you're on mainnet and you need to be on localhost. And it provides you with a button. Like every dApp on Ethereum needs that functionality. And you don't think of it until you're almost like at production level and you have people using it and they end up screwing up and making a transaction on the wrong network. Scavaldeeth comes with the stuff that you need. A lot of people say, you don't need all this stuff. You, you need these safety things. You need a lot of these things that are here. So you just like, yeah, if you're building a prototype, you can make an ugly scaffold ETH that does the thing first and get product market fit, get folks using it. And then you can kind of move to, you can still use scaffold ETH to make very production level things, but you might at that point have, you know, a production level smart contract team and a production level front end team and things slow way down. But then that, that kind of leads to may, maybe more of a production level app. You can still build them with scaffold ETH, but I think that 
there are some production level things that like we have the with the graph and a lot of things but just we we see a lot of people uh juice box is a good example they started on scaffold Eat, they built their prototype uh joke dow is another example just like an ugly ass prototype but it did what it needed to do and now they have product market fit and now they're building a nice front end that's cool. That's cool. Okay. So Scaffold Leith obviously is amazing. I want to talk through a little bit of your process on how you built it and how you, you think through some of these things, right? And how you think through some of these things like as, as products themselves. But before we do that though, I think your, your most recent big thing has been speedrun Ethereum, right? Or am I wrong there? I think there's, there's like a couple layers on top of that, but they're not very well publicized. So I think that, I think that the next obvious iteration in this conversation should be speedrun Ethereum. Can I show that off next? Is that okay? All right, here we go. So as you kind of tinker around with Scaffold ETH and you get okay, you get good with it, like there's learning the syntax is one thing. And, and the syntax is easy to pick up. If you're a developer, you can grab Scaffold ETH and you can learn all of these things in a couple of days probably, right? Maybe even take a day for each one. But if you're learning global units, you like go grab a global, you go check out the global units and you say, oh, like block.timestamp. I could, I could use block.timestamp in here somewhere. Maybe I'll just console log at time, you know, whatever this time is at first, just to see what this global produces. And I'll see it over here when I, when I set the variable. So, so at first you're just like testing and tinkering. Let's, let's go set this real quick and see if we can see. Yeah. Do we see the, oh wait, it's trying to get me to do a transaction. Oh, I don't have any money. Dang it. Okay. That's why I don't use MetaMask on localhost. Use a burner wallet. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see if, there we go. Now, do we get some good feedback over here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we get the at time, right? We're able to kind of debug what time it happened at, what we set the purpose to, what the price is, and we can start tinkering around with that stuff. So Scaffold ETH is good for tinkering and kind of trying things and grabbing things uh, from like primitives or mappings. Go to Solidity by example, grab one of these things, paste it in and see how it how it works by just tinkering with it, right? If I save that and deploy it, we'll see that in the front end of Scaffold ETH. Okay, so you've got the syntax. You're gonna get the syntax pretty quickly. If you're a builder, you get in and you tinker around, you run through these uh, different areas of the syntax, you're gonna have it pretty quickly and you're gonna understand what you're doing. The, the real challenge here is getting the mental model for what works on Ethereum and what doesn't work. And, and why we're using this kind of like slow, expensive database to, to host these things. You have to learn things like economics, right? You have to learn things like game theory. You, you have to learn like a lot of things that I didn't know anything about. I sort of just had to learn naturally as I got into Ethereum, because there's a lot more going on there uh, than just building, building a web app, right? <laughs> so you, you need to figure out what Ethereum is good at. And I think the, this first challenge, so challenge zero just takes you through minting an NFT. A lot of people are here just to figure out how to learn how to mint their NFT and then they're done. And so I just do that for challenge zero. If you want to go make an NFT and try to get rich, you can fork this and make an NFT in an hour and it's and it's done. But if, if you want to really get in and learn the mental model of Ethereum, challenge one is talking about building a staking app. And it talks about how it's like a state machine and it's in a deposit uh, state at first. And then after some block.timestamp, you have to poke it, right? It doesn't automatically switch states. Everything is a transaction. Everything needs to be poked. Uh, and, and you learn all these things about kind of the intricacies of building an app on Ethereum by doing these challenges because they're specifically built to teach you those things. I've gone through tons of mentorship sessions and I figured out, 
you know, here's, here's the first few things I need to teach someone. So we'll build that into this challenge. And then here's the next run. Like you, you need to understand contract to contract interaction. You need to understand the approved pattern in ERC 20 tokens. Uh, you need to understand randomness and how randomness is hard and can be gamed on public deterministic blockchains. Then, then we get into a DEX and DeFi and what's so interesting and powerful about building a decentralized exchange where you hold reserve reserves of the tokens in the ETH and the prices, the ratio of those reserves, and a little fee is left as you swap between the two and the LP tokens represent your, your share of that. All of that happens in the DEX challenge. Uh, and then multi-sig wallet, SVG, NFT. By this time, I'm like, you're a good developer. Go do go mint like a low. This is like the other side of this, where where this guy was just getting in just to do this one. Once you get here, now I'm urging you to go deploy your own NFT because I want to ape into it and support you and buy some of your first NFTs. So SVG NFTs are a real fun one to end with. And then this this opens up to like a whole cohort and you join, if, if you get all the way through this and you'd like to give back, you can join the build guild and we can talk about that more. But speedrun Ethereum is like, if someone is leaving on a train and you have to shout to them one thing, if they're a developer and they want to get into Ethereum, you shout speedrun Ethereum and maybe a .com at the end of that. And if they go to that, hopefully they can get the mental model and so, sort of like asynchronously work through the curriculum. I love it. Yeah, that, that's that's honestly super useful. I wish I wish I would have either known about this when I first started out or or, or done it because it probably would have saved me some time. But this whole this whole sequ you know this whole sequence of things you've done and the, the the suite of things you've built I think are really useful for the ecosystem. And what's interesting is that I think a lot of what you've done, if we, if we look at it from kind of like a meta perspective, the mindset you've taken to some of the stuff probably really really applies to people listening, right? Because it applies for us, right? So to give you a bit of background, we consider ourselves at Superfluid to be a developer platform, right? We want to build tooling for people to then use our stack in their own applications that become successful themselves. How, and this might be just kind of a, a broad question, so take this wherever you'd like, but how do you approach building one of these educational products or, or tooling products? Is there like, like how do you, like what, what is like the initial spark of interest? What are you thinking? How do you, how do you approach these things? It's, it's probably some combo move of being fun and being interesting and also like thinking about the end user that's going to consume it and thinking about their experience and figuring that out. Like I, with, with all products I build, I usually think about the person using it and their experience first and kind of like work backwards from that. I don't, I don't know if that's helpful, but like I would think of for Superfluid, I am a, a product builder, a CEO type. I've met my CTO and we're thinking about how to build a uh, payroll platform on top of Superfluid. And uh, the CTO is gonna dive into what are the, what are the top streaming platforms right now? Uh, what is Superfluid versus the other ones? How do their dev docs look? Like thinking of that guy's experience or girl thinking about how they're going to go through and build this maybe is a good perspective. And, and, and then maybe even like follow some folks that go through that and figure out where their journey was uh, diverted or forked or where, where they fell off and how to make it so fewer and fewer people fall off as they go through your docs or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think the, the lesson, especially if just hearing you talk about these different things and you're, you're very, you're very thoughtful, right? And I think it's just like taking the same like PM process you take toward building an end product and doing the same thing for tooling and, 
education. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be a little nerdier, right? We saw, do you guys play dark forest? We we've seen that like you can get product market fit by doing something really nerdy. Like the dark forest game is so cool and it just looks like super nerdy and they leaned into that and it's great and it works. So you could do that. Like as a, if you're, if you're building a, like a developer tooling education thing, you can make it really nerdy. And that's actually cool and interesting to that, to that target demographic. Where, whereas like, I think right now, when you see a lot of web three education, you see a lot of gradients, right? We see, we see a lot of, we see a lot of people trying to do web three education, but the way they're doing it is by making it look like this, like fancy VC funded gradient. That's like super soft web three. We're all going to save the world. And there's some freaking rainbows over here. And really it's more like, you know what, if you want to capture the person, like make something nerdy and get them straight into building a Dex and maybe have them exploit a dice challenge. Like it, it doesn't need to be mainstream friendly. It needs to be mainstream developer friendly. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's different. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Is there, is there any like project or other education company or platform that you think is also doing a really good job that you'd like to shut out that you've even oh, yeah. I mean, there's so there's so many. I mean, so we could start with like DevRel folks, first of all, like Natter and Patrick and a whole spray of other homies that have joined and are doing like wonderful DevRel for the space. So first of all, them and all of their content, right? Uh, uh, there, there are a bunch of like VC funded Web3 shops that I think are a net positive for the space. Like BuildSpace would be an example of that. Uh, I, I feel like Use Web3 is one that I've really liked recently uh let's see if that's the right one yeah use web3.xyz is a great one uh ethereum.org like ethereum.org has has gotten 10 times better over the last three years like they've done a great job of improving it there's almost like too much information on ethereum.org at this point and so like uh, ethereum.org like some of the typical channels are now like great channels whereas maybe in 2017 there's like a secret channel where you go use dap tools and that's how you get good at things i think in in 2022 some of the obvious best channels are the best channels and there's not a, like the secrets are out at this point and and people are using it. I, I think like foundry and the stuff that georgios is doing is uh ethernaut the ethernaut challenge like any of those like next level challenges right where they're capture the flags by paradigm or there there's something where a very smart person has put together a set of challenges that are not beginner solidity they're not even medium level solidity like this is where you like really get good those challenges are all awesome for the space and i'm it, like I, I can't shout out all of them but there's a bunch of them for sure so devrel folks new tools getting awesome like hard hat and foundry and also a bunch of new challenges and and types of even like the graph and all the cool subgraph stuff they're doing or uh man it, I, I i i shouldn't be shouting out some of them because i'm leaving out so many other ones the the ecosystem is has is really blossoming and there's a ton of different tools there's a ton of devrel people that have been kind of uh crypto pilled there's there's just a lot a lot more there no i was gonna say josh has actually written some capture the flags uh he, he's gotten pretty deep in insecurities yeah, he, he loves it but okay let, let's actually let, let's suppose let, let's think about this from a specific point of view right like let's say i'm a dev right i've done some scaffolding stuff and i want to get really good what what advice do you have for that person that really wants to level up from like, all right, I've done some of the basics, we run Ethereum challenges, I want to be a legit Web3 developer. So I, the, the first thing I'll do is like give a disclaimer again that like, 
I, I am not a genius Solidity developer. So there's only so much I can give in terms of good advice. I can, I can more like be the, the teacher that isn't great at it. Like the, if, if you're not great at it, you teach it kind of thing. Like I can point you in all the right directions of the things. Uh, I have this thread of next steps. So I think from a high level, the key there is to uh, keep building things. You need to get in the habit of shipping and, and trying things. Like when, when I say reentrancy, I don't mean go read about reentrancy. I mean, go reproduce reentrancy on a test net and go reproduce uh, some of these other attacks and really go prove to yourself that you can recreate them and spend time like learning more about them. So like go to go to Solidity. This, this is probably one of the first spots is Solidity by example, run through the hacks, right? Then I would say uh, Ethernaut is probably the next one of the next steps to kind of like making sure you're leveled up and ready to go. This would be after after you've sped speed run Ethereum, right? If 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 you're done speed running Ethereum and you're ready for more, I would say you're you're checking out the Ethernaut, you're taking on some of these higher level challenges, but you also just need to get in the mode of shipping and ship things and show them off on Twitter and ship things and show them off on Twitter. Build things that you'll use and iterate on yourself. Find find just like edge cases. The, the, the first place I tell people is just like build an executor smart contract that does dot call on that dot calls whatever uh, call data you send it. And you'll learn a ton about how call data works and some of the ins and outs of how you have to encode that stuff, right? Uh, getting into just like there, there's, I have this whole thread of just like random directions you can go, but the key is just like getting in the habit of prototyping and shipping and getting feedback from the ecosystem about what works. Uh, I think ZK tech is huge. Like I think ZK is going to be so big in the next couple of years, especially at the application layer, especially for games, uh, voting, membership stuff. Like oh, so much ZK stuff is going to be here. Go start doing some ZK tutorials. Start learning Circom. Start learning how to build those little circuits and start learning how those things can interact with smart contracts. Uh, so many different directions here. Let me see if I can get dice game. We've got, oh, build an indexer, right? Start running your own node and build an indexer and learn how that indexer has to chew through so many things just to like make, like indexing the space, like getting getting a list of my NFTs, not from someone's database, but actually from this beast right here is so freaking hard. <laughs> you have to chew through so many transactions. You have to chew through every transaction of every block looking for yours and then work backwards from that. Like it's such a pain. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, and, and like test the edges, right? I have zoom in on delegate call and learn learn the ins and outs of why that's so scary. Uh, look at token gating and enabling. Just build lots of apps and try the applications and try them out. Uh, SVG NFTs, a mat auction. We still haven't seen a good mat auction get implemented. Uh, uh, I think that like we need to do a better job of an ecosystem of creating like a big idea list. There's, there's a lot of idea lists that, that circulate around, but if, if you want to see an idea uh, get implemented poorly, just go ahead and tweet it out to all your followers and someone will <laughs> implement it 50% and do a shitty job of it and almost guarantee that you'll never be able to deploy that product. So a lot of ideas are kept secret. And I think that, yeah, I don't know, somehow we need, we need more ideas. We need more competition, like the, the Gnosis safe is like one multi-sig, but why don't we have more multi-sigs? And let's see more people building more multi-sigs. And let's let's like, you know, kind of uh, nourish that environment to create more things. Create two is a good example. Go go prove to yourself that you can do a create two and have a contract that gets deployed with the same salt across multiple networks to the same address. 
a lot of these are like just forking and extending things. Uh, but I think that go through the challenges, get through Ethernaut, make sure that you can build a signature-based multi-sig from your head from scratch. Like that's like just like table stakes to get into things like doing more uh, auditing type stuff. But there's just at the application level layer, you just need to build and iterate and see what, what resonates. Totally. Filling totally. in your blind spots. Yeah. Josh, do you have anything to add to that? So Josh actually has had a pretty impressive just rate of learning I've seen. Josh, do you have anything to add in terms of like learning and anything anything on the back of what Austin just, just went through? Yeah, so I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, things like call, delegate call, create two, some of these like really low level things are really important, you know, to get to that next level. Um, now, Remix has, has always been my go-to because it's, you know, you punch in a URL and now it's like, okay, well, I wonder how... Uh, you know, how does a string get encoded wherever you return it? Or how do you do this? Or, you know, like it's a lot of little things like that are really good, you know, for tinkering with and, and remix. Um, and, and personally, I've kind of taken a dive into more of the like, you know, low level stuff, right? So um, I've noticed there's not a lot of low level resources out there. Um, and so this is something that, you know, personally, in my own time that I'm trying to um, get those resources out there, right? Because we have languages like Huff popping up now and these like very low level things where it's like, yeah, I don't know anything about to that. Today I learned yeah, whatever Huff is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, maybe maybe without without chilling it too much. Basically, it was a project sort of by Aztec back in the day. Uh, the language died off, and recently, you know, one of one of the giga brains over on crypto Twitter was like, "Hey, why don't we just like you know remake this right?" And it's it's about as close to actual opcode writing as you can get without just writing opcodes. Yeah, and it it's, scary. it's painful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to reason about, but I'd yeah. I'd say that was probably one of the most educational tools that that I could have, right? Because like. You know, when, when you go to ethereum.org, the first thing you see is a stateful, um, you know, stack-based virtual machine. What does that mean? Like, we like sure, we know what the stack is. You know, we, we saw it on LeetCode. We saw it on Google. Um, but, you know, in things like Solidity, you, you have no concept of the stack. It's yep. very high level, very like- You don't even know how to ask the right questions. Yeah, your context right. for the space. I, I like this. I like this like persona we're coming in as. Is, we're a developer. We understand things, but we don't even know the right question to ask. And we're getting in. I, I love this persona that you're describing here it, because it was probably you a couple months ago or whenever you got into the space. That's so cool. Yeah. Keep going with it. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that that mindset is very important, right? The, the builder mindset, learning mindset, trying new things out, trying new patterns. Um, if we look at this space overall, like you mentioned there are like some additional tooling things we could benefit from, right? Like why is there only one uh, multi-sig wallet that, that's taken over everything, right? It's we, set a good standard though. I mean, the nose is safe is dope. <laughs> it is good. We, we, we love the transaction Nosa. service is slow sometimes, but then like whenever this, the transaction service is slow, my, my mind starts going to, why isn't there another option here? And that worries me. Sorry to interrupt you though. Keep going. The nose is safe is great though. I got to make sure I give them a shout out. Like it's awesome. Of course we use it. We use it too. It's super fluid. Yep. Um, but in terms of like tooling, like you probably look at tooling all the time, right? What kinds of tooling, I'm gonna ask, I'll ask kind of a two-part question here. One, what kind of existing tooling already exists or design patterns that you think is just flat out underutilized? And then on the other side of that, what is just missing? Like, what do you wish somebody would build? So I think that like that process we went through there with Scaffold ETH, where we were kind of testing our smart contract really raw and we weren't really building tests yet, but we were just tinkering with things. I think that environment is something that not a lot of people experience. And just getting that into more people's hands is good. I think that like things like Hard Hat and Foundry have have taken you know the the truffle experience and made it so much better. So I think that we do have some great things there. 
I, I, one thing that I get frustrated with, and I already mentioned this is like error messages going back to that persona of that person who has come through hacker news and is just spinning this up for the first time. And maybe like the chain's not even up yet. And the app throws an error that doesn't make sense. Like that needs to be better. And in all the apps across the ecosystem, when, when you get an error from the chain and you just like dump it to the user, which we do a lot with scaffold ETH, sadly, we need to get better at parsing that and giving more context. And people don't know what question they need to even ask because they don't get it yet. So the tools need to sort of guide you through the context and, and give you the, the error messages need to give you a little bit more of a guess at what's going on. And so, and it's so frustrating, right? Even, even if you get to the point where you're great at things and you sit down and you're working through this cool proto protocol that you're building and it's using lots of creativity, if the tool is hard to use or the tool throws bad error messages or the tool just isn't a delight to, to hack on, it's going to take away a lot of your creativity and you're going to end up building something that's subpar. Whereas if the tool is really easy to use and exciting, I, I, I see this on Twitter. I see people getting so excited about Foundry that it's probably like this. I, I've like tinkered with it, but I haven't I, I'm not Foundry pilled yet, but I think, you know, soon. But a, a tool needs to have that kind of like just really enjoyable. You come away from it like, I feel like a wizard. Like the shit I just did is magic. This is so cool. I'm learning, I'm getting context, I'm building, and I love it. Like we need more of those tools. I think that we as an ecosystem need to do better just about developer experience and and uh, thinking more about it. But a lot of the tools, I, I can't like name a specific thing other than like error messages is a, is a big one, I think is is a good one. Uh, it, it, there's other things though in the ecosystem that we need to attack that are like elephants in the room in terms of, I have this seed phrase and if I lose this seed phrase, I lose all my money. So now we're talking about account abstraction and we're talking about multi-sigs and we're talking about different ways to store your money. And, and we, need, we need products to come out of the space that help you do a better job of uh, not losing your money if you lose your seed phrase. Or, uh, you know, it's expensive, right? Like we, we need better cheaper layers to this system where it doesn't cost a hundred dollars to make a transaction which it hasn't cost a hundred dollars for me in a long time with with gas where, where it is but there's there's still like some elephants in the room even in terms of like user you know mainstream users or user users that we we can do a better job of as developers as product creators i think i went too far on the tangent on that one no 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 that's great um, you know, uh, building on building on the errors point, because I, I've kind of come to realize this, I mean, very recently, just how underrated error handling is. Oh, yeah. Because, um, you know, like, I mean, if, if you've ever used something like Rust, you know, like the, the compiler is very good about giving you like good error messages, right? Because, you know, most of the time, right, you try to build something in Python, something breaks, it gives you this goofy stack trace, you have no idea what's happening. Yep. Yep. Whereas something like the Rust compiler says, okay, um, there's this character on this line, this is wrong, and maybe you should change it to this, right? Like, yeah. And and I think the, the same thing should happen for the Ethereum ecosystem. So I don't know how much you've, um, you know, done the deep dive in the custom errors and solidity, but I think this is going to help a lot for for a couple of you know really big reasons. One it saves is, gas course, too. <laughs> it does. It does. It saves yeah. gas, so you don't have to like you don't have to have this limitation of you know before it was like oh well, you, your error message can't be more than thirty two characters, so you know try and you know, make it make it as concise as possible, but then put the name of the contract in there so you know where it's got, I mean, it was, it was a mess, right? Whereas now, like with these custom errors, you know, it's built into the ABI. So you can have these systems where, you know, in the front end, you know, the, like normally the client, you know, you're just, maybe we'll just propagate the string and hope the user figures it out. Whereas now it's like, okay, 
this is explicitly this error and this is what's going wrong. And there's a lot less that, you know, the front end engineers even have to do to get that out there. And um, also building on your foundry bit a little, I'm the, uh, I'm the local foundry shill at Superfluid. Your foundry so build? Cool. I, I am fully. And is it, is it exciting to use? Like, is that, is, is my read on that correct? Like, it's just fun? It's very exciting and it's good. I mean, you have the contracts you write, you have tests that you can write, you have a sort of, uh, we call it the VM. Um, where you can like basically run these cheat codes where it's like, well, let's impersonate this account and see what happens when we do this and then impersonate that account or maybe force ether here, you know, things like that. Um, but then there's like scripting where you can create these scripts fully in solidity that'll actually publish transactions to a public blockchain. I mean, all kinds of weird stuff like this. But um, yes, yeah, especially on, on the topic of errors, right? You have this like optional verbosity from like zero to five where you know, you can say, all right, just run this, see what happens. Oh, it broke. Let's let's dig into that a little bit, right? Pull that thread a little bit more. And if it, if it is, ends up just being too much, you can debug and, I mean, step through each instruction, right? Like, it's it's very, like, very involved. So, yeah, if, uh, if, if you need a sign to go check out Foundry, this is it, man. It's definitely worth a look. When's Capital Needs Foundry? Happening soon, I think. There, It's like, it's one of those things where I have a bunch of builders within the build guild and I'm throwing them random builds left and right. And it's one of those random builds that we're working on. So it's like in the pipeline, but it's not something I'm like straight focused on. Uh, one thing that you mentioned there that I wanted to dig into was the, the forking of mainnet. It's so much fun to fork mainnet. The, the fact that you can, from your scaffold ETH, you've got your, your backend, which is your, your hard hat. You can just do yarn fork, and now you have mainnet, and you can impersonate and do things like that. Like There's more cheat codes and impersonation stuff, I think, built into Foundry, but even just being able to yarn fork is so much fun for me. And like, let's go just like try out if this thing's going to work. Let's yarn fork, let's deploy the contract, let's call the functions. Does it do what we think it's gonna do? Okay, dope, now let's go do it for real. Yeah, it's it, there's so many cool things that have come out in the last couple of years that make uh, developing on Ethereum so much more fun. Totally, yeah. So a couple of questions before we, we let you go and we're coming up on time, but you mentioned some UX related things a second ago, right? MetaMask, seed phrases, account abstraction. Is there anything that you're really excited about when it comes to new tooling, uh, new patterns that could help with this application layer and improving UX? Uh, I think we we kind of hinted uh, off off recording about meta transactions and like meta transactions are cool, but they they didn't end up becoming popular because it like the platform has to pay and and it's just kind of a clunky it was a clunky pattern. But I think EIP I think it's forty three thirty seven. Yes, there's there's uh, an EIP coming out soon that I think will add a lot of this. Um, this, this need of having to have gas, meaning that you have to onboard into the system, you have to have a wallet, you have to do all this stuff up front before you can even interact with it. I think being able to generate a burner wallet for someone and let them sign a message and then have that message get mined into, I think, I, I don't know exactly how 4337 does the account abstraction, but I think there's like a separate mempool and a separate style of transactions. And then there's like this bundler that puts all of those on and maybe the bundler pays the gas or maybe the, the app pays the gas. I'm not exactly sure who pays it, but there is something coming and the people that are way smarter than me are liking it. And so I, I would lean toward EIP 4337 in terms of like uh, account abstraction. I think I think this is the one. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I I don't know a ton about it, but I think that um, be the the problem being, a I have to learn a mnemonic and I have to hide this mnemonic and learn how to protect it, 
And then I have to go get ETH and have ETH in this account. Both of those things are hard to do. And you have to do both of those before you can even talk to an app. Like we, we need to flip that on its head. And so I, I started with meta transactions with Nifty Inc. trying to make an example of that where an artist can come in here and uh, here, let's just come in as an incognito. So let's say this is like a tablet, right? You, you open up Nifty Inc. on a tablet. And you don't even know it, but down here in the bottom right, we've generated you a burner wallet. So you already have a wallet, whether you know it or not, or know even what a wallet is or how to protect it. But you are an artist and you come in here and you create something, right? Before, before you even know how any of this works, you come in and draw uh, you know, some, some groundbreaking piece of art here, this uh, fantastic, I always do it like a little tree. <laughs> right. You come in here and make some groundbreaking art. You set it a limit of, you know, it's a one of two and you hit ink. Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. We'll see how the demo goes. But what it's going to do is it's going to use your burner wall. It did not. I think maybe our relay is down. Yep. The uh, open GSN relay is throwing errors. So a lot of times this works, to be honest, but sometimes it doesn't. So I have to give that disclaimer. What it's doing here is it's using a burner wallet. So it's going to generate you a wallet on page load if you don't have one. Then it's going to use that wallet to sign a, a, a transaction that isn't a, a typical transaction. It's basically you're signing the details of the transaction, but you're not submitting it on chain. You're submitting it to a relay system. And that relay system happens to be down right now. But what it allows for me to do as the app builder is I can pay the gas of my users. And so if this relay was working, I could pay the you know one penny it would take to put this thing on chain on a side chain. It looks like we're not gonna get it to work, so it's not gonna work. <laughs> but uh, what this allows when it does work is it allows me to pay the gas and it allows an artist to come in and create something cool. And then if someone likes that painting, I don't know what this is, but if someone likes that, they could pay a dollar, right? And then all of a sudden I have a dollar or two in my burner wallet and I'm incentivized to go figure out how to protect it. So I've, I flip that onboarding on its head and say, it says first you use that, the app, you do something really cool and you re get rewarded for that. And then finally you have to figure out what a mnemonic is. And then you finally have to figure out what an account is. And when there's money sitting in your account, you're much more likely to do that. So if you can get someone into your app and get them using it first, and then, you know, kind of default to pushing this back as far as you can that that like onboarding where you have to figure out seed phrases and you have to start getting ETH then then you'll have more people using your platform you'll have better onboarding but in this case this only runs on a side chain and the only way I can pay people's gas is if it's a one penny at a time and if this was some like mainnet exchange there's no way I'd want to be paying the gas for all of my users right yeah that's brilliant and it's it's a really it's a really cool way to go about that flow um, I think, I think that's going to be really important for, you know, blockchain related gaming as well, right? Because it, it seems like, you know, sometimes it kind of takes this front seat and it's like, oh, look, it's a blockchain game. It's like, no, 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 it should be a game first and, you know, kind of have that blockchain later where it makes sense, right? Because there's things that blockchain is good at and there's things that it's not good at, right? So I, I really like this approach of like, you know, it's all, all of these things that you have to know, it sort of takes the backseat and you get to, you get to the art, you get to the application first. And that's, I, I really like that. 
Word. Heck yeah. And we mentioned Dark Forest, but Dark Forest does the same thing. They're they're like running on a side chain and they can pay the gas of their users. So they're using burner wallets and they might not even be using meta transactions. It's probably just burner wallets. And then they like drop you a penny or something. And then you run through your penny and then you have to supply the rest of it. But the fact that it's on a side chain, I think a lot of games are even in rollups on side chains. They're that level of cheapness. And so at that point, yeah, you're paying for your user's gas. And I think it's, it is going to be super important for let's, let's make a good game, but let's make it something that you could only make on blockchain and let's make it so a mainstream audience can play it and get like why blockchain or ZK or some kind of tech is so important and such an integral part of the game, but make a good game first, but then have all these layers of like, the the cool tech that there that's there and i think that's when some something will catch on if not dark forest something similar yeah it's the same thinking that you have with everything else right it's like the what is the journey of the person that's going to use this going to look like right and yep. focusing on the ux and then working backwards into the tech i think is the way to go i'm with you there and it's it's not like you're 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 not thinking through the path of your great user. You're thinking through the path of your caveman user. And I can always turn on my caveman brain and play through something and get frustrated right away and and figure out oh there's a sharp edge there. Let's smooth that off. Now turn on caveman brain again and go through it again and go through it again and just smooth those edges. Totally. Okay. So again, we're kind of coming up on time. So before we before we ask our, our final question. Uh, where would you like to direct people that listen to this? Is it Scaffold ETH? Is it your website? Where should where should people find you? It's probably Speedrun Ethereum. I think that like Speedrun Ethereum is like the the piece. If if you're a good developer, you know good developers. Uh, if if you're not a developer, you should go take like a JavaScript or a Python class first. Go go learn web development first, and then Speedrun Ethereum. Uh, I do have this like web two to web three curriculum that I'm working on. So just keep an eye on my Twitter. If you're if Speedrun Ethereum is like too high level for you keep an eye on my web two to web three curriculum that's coming out. But I think my, my call to action here is go speed run Ethereum. Even if you're not a developer, have it in the back of your mind. And as soon as someone's talking about ETH dev or Ethereum, speed run Ethereum, tell them to speed run Ethereum. I'm definitely trying to like meme into existence. Just like speed run Ethereum is the thing to shout to the person as they're, as they're on their way and, and hope, hope it sticks. I love it. I love it. Cool. We'll make sure we link to all that stuff in our show notes and we mo- we'll promote all those things. Um, final question. Let's assume we fast forward 10 years to 2032. What do you hope our whole industry looks like? What is your vision for what it should look like in 10 years? I think just like, okay, so this is like, this is probably a hot take in a lot of ways. I think just like email address or phone number or any of the weird forum things that like basically became normal. I think the idea of a seed phrase will become normal within our society. I think people will understand. And maybe like, maybe there's a different kind of key pair that we use. And like, we're already going to BLS from ECDSA, or you can use both of them. But I'm sure the gigabrains will process through that farther and farther. But I think the idea of a key pair and some of these like cryptographic primitives will be like, the, the way they work will be common knowledge. Like any given 10 year old in 10 years will understand that, or maybe 12 year old, I don't know when they start messing around with technology. My kid, my kid already knows what a C phrase is, but <laughs> when, when, uh, when I think society understands like, oh, so I have to have this thing and this is like my private key and I need to keep it safe. I can use it to sign and recover things. 
then everything is a transaction and some other weird, like maybe there's some gray area there, but I think people will understand mnemonics, key parry kind of things. They'll, they'll understand that concept. And then hopefully like a lot will be built on top of that. I would love to see a, a ton of like ZK applications and blockchain applications, but they're probably at a little bit lower level and we'll see some kind of layers on top of that that make more sense. I, I've been saying that like L2 summer was going to happen and it's still not happening. Like, I guess it's sort of happening. We, we don't see the usage on L2s that I expected we would see, which goes back to, I have this beautiful hand-painted game, but because it's not a Ponzi scheme, no one wants to play it. I think that maybe by 10 years, we'll, we'll have like gotten past all of the garbage and we'll be using this to actually do really interesting things. My, my far out view, like hot takes aside, this is probably a hot take sort of, my far out view uh, comes from Amin and a handful of people in the space that have already been talking about this. But when we talk about trustless and trustlessness and building applications that the code is basically the law, uh, I start thinking at nation state levels. Uh, nation states can't really trust each other. You need a way for nation states to be able to coordinate. If, if there's a staking contract and everyone has to stake a certain amount of their military budget, and if, if somehow they, they, you know, they fail to coordinate or they defect, that military budget goes away. This is just like a stupid caveman example. Smart people will think of much smarter ways, but I finally am starting to feel like I personally have agency to actually make the world a better place by creating you know, educational content that then leads someone to build these coordination systems that can be played at a nation state level. So I look, I look for that in the future, but who knows what it will actually look like. And I'm notoriously bad at being able to understand what is going to happen in the future. So it's probably going to be completely wrong, but we'll see, we'll see what happens. That's a real, uh, real cypherpunk utopia there. I love it. I mean, it's, I hope so. It, I think it is like just such a such a new thing, you know. I mean, even in the 1980s, right? Like cryptography was was mostly just military technology, but now it's like, I mean, it's abstracted away right now, right? With things like HTTPS, nobody really knows how this thing, how these things work under the hood. But the fact that you know I can secure a five dollar transaction on Ethereum, right, and have this this like cryptographic guarantee that a nation state would take, you know, the age of the universe to break, right? Like that's that's something incredible and. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of share that that hope that you know one day, like we can, like as everyday average humans, like reason about these things and and take advantage of you know how powerful that technology is. HTTPS is such a great example, though. HTTPS is like super powerful. It uses ECDS key, key pairs or, or RSA key pairs, similar key pairs, and it just happens behind the scenes, and no one knows. But whenever they go to a website where the little locky thing doesn't do the little locky thing, they know it's bad and they GTFO, right? And so it's working, right? If we can have that level of adop adoption where it's abstracted away mostly, but people basically get it. If that little locky is not locky, then then get out of there. It works, right? Like I, I I feel like those those things are coming, and we will have those layers. I just don't know what it looks like to be you know, natively mainstream adopted, what that layer actually looks like at that point, but I look forward to it. Decentralization, right? People understanding decentralization. That's, we're still a long ways away from that. <laughs> totally, that was a fantastic answer. And we really, really appreciate you coming on and we appreciate everything you've done for the Ethereum ecosystem. Like I said, I've used, I've used plenty of your tooling and educational tools myself, so. It's great to have a chance to talk with you and we love the uh we love the dances as always. <laughs> Thanks for having me guys. Thanks so much. Good luck with Superfluid. Keep it going. Let's figure out how we can collab. <laughs>